Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market Podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market Podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Amber Chemis. She is the VP of Client Services at inbound marketing agency, Smartbug Media, and we're going to be talking about being unforgettable. So Amber, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, great to have, great to be here with you. Uh, <laughs> we're start, so, starting off with some, <laughs> I think this episode is now unforgettable, <laughs> um, but being unforgettable, what does that mean? I mean, I'm, we're relating to marketing here, B2B marketing. What does it mean to be unforgettable? It's not really a marketing discipline itself. Yeah, no, what does it be, mean to be unforgettable? Well, first of all, I'm a perfectionist, so I apologize for not starting off unforgettable um, in, in that regard. But my slip of the tongue actually is something that contributes to being unforgettable. One of the biggest things about being unforgettable, um, and by the way, I have a psychology background, so when I think about being unforgettable, it's, it's what goes on in the human brain that causes a brand or a person or a moment like the slip of a tongue to actually be unforgettable. And there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on in the brain, a lot going on in the environment that ultimately impacts what makes a company or brand unforgettable. But the biggest thing is that, you know, when you see it again, you're going to recognize it. Um, and that the next time you, you may not need that particular thing at the moment, but the next time that you do need it, your brain is going to recall that particular company or brand because at the end of the day, you, you're not to be forgotten. Right. So we're talking about your, it's kind of a brand thing and it's about your brand or your product or whatever it is you want people to remember being sticky with people kind of. Um, so it's not always being top of mind with them, but more being triggered when you want it to be triggered. That kind exactly. of thing. The, um, I think it was maybe Twix or something like that had uh, connected their, their candy bar with coffee and mm -hmm. because they wanted every time people to take a coffee break for them to think, Oh, I have a coffee and Twix, I have a, you know, Coke and a smile associating with, uh, I, you know, I guess being unforgettable. Also, there's so many things to get into Coke and yeah. a smile. They don't say Coke and a frown because they want you to associate with something positive. Also, not just unforgettable, but positive probably. Yeah. And, uh, another example is Snickers. And when you're getting grumpy, grab a Snickers, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually the, the, op uh, the opposite of re uh, positive reinforcement. It's negative reinforcement. But in any of those examples you, you shared, um, one thing that is, there's always been this nature versus nurture debate, obviously in psychology. And we all know now that it, it, there's, there's no one or the other, it's both of them. And what those brands did in that case, um, Coke, for example, a, and, and a smile is that they associated two, two things, something really positive, which is a smile, so that you'll remember the next time that a Coke pairs well with a smile. Um, also, every, something that's done very regularly, um, and you uh, probably countless times people have said to somebody, instead of just saying like, be happy or something like that, they said, have a Coke and a smile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so I think that's, a, yeah, and I think that's like a, a very, traditional advertising way of putting it you know you put those two elements together um in an advertisement by saying hey coke and a smile go together really well and so when you smile you may think of coke now that's the goal although we i don't smile and instantly want to go grab a coke every time but uh but but from like a practical standpoint if you are a marketer look at your website 
Um, if you create a positive experience on your website, people are going to feel good and they're going to feel good about your brand. So the next time that they need to they use you, they, they associate, hey, Smartbug has a great website experience. They must be a great brand. Right. Uh, We're, there's so many little tangents that shoots off into that makes me think of, yeah, maybe they have a good experience, but it's also important that they don't say, remember that one website that was really, it was so well done, but they can't remember who it was because you see a lot of that in advertising where you think, wow, that was a really funny commercial. That was a really cool commercial, but I don't remember which law firm it was for or whatever it is. Exactly. And that's where, um, you know, reinforcement, positive reinforcement or um, pairing is what it's called when you associate an environment and a, uh, your, an environmental cue like smiling um, or a website experience with a brand. So that's, that's pairing. But that's one way that, we, that human behavior is influenced. There's also other things like how often has that, has that person been exposed to your brand it, itself? Just simply exposing yourself to a brand more often and repeatedly means they're more likely to think of you when they get thirsty. That's why we think of Coke because right. it, it's so a if they brand. If they can't remember what Coke is, they're not gonna, it's not going to be unforgettable regardless. They have to have seen it enough times. The, so in order to be unforgettable, you can't just have a good jingle or whatever it is, but it has to be exposed enough times that it sticks kind of. Enough times that it sticks. And I will jump into another psychological principle, which is, cognitive dissonance. Our minds hate to have a disconnect. So you need to see a brand multiple times for it to stick. You need it to be associated with a positive. Um, but you also need to make sure that it makes sense all along the way. If one week you're telling people you're an outbound marketing agency and the next week you're saying you're an inbound marketing agency, that causes a conflict in the human brain and people do not do well with conflict. They will avoid right. it. So being consistent is, is also a big aspect of being a brand that, that is remembered and, and not forgotten. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Let's, I want to jump back really quick. We kind of blew right mm -hmm. into this. There's so many interesting things to talk about. Um, can you give me a real quick, and I believe you guys might be the first company that's had um, two people on. Uh, one of your people there, Jen Spencer, back in 2019, was on yeah. talking about sales enablement checklists. But can you give the listeners a, a quick rundown of, of what your company does, what Smartbug Media does? Yeah, so Smartbug Media is an intelligent inbound marketing agency. We are an elite HubSpot partner. Um, and so a lot of the clients that we work with are um, power users and believers in marketing automation, um, such as HubSpot, but also some other platforms like Marketo. Um, and we're a full service agency. So we do everything from helping implement marketing automation to building websites, managing paid media, and even content development. Awesome. And now back to, uh, let's cover you a little bit more again. You mentioned yeah. you have a background in psychology, which yeah. fits really nicely with this. A lot of people would, um, and I think one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show is that kind of expertise and insight versus just somebody who studied branding a lot when it comes to making something unforgettable, making, making stuff stick. Um, we were mentioning before the show, you live in North Dakota, I believe, right? I, I live in North Dakota. Yes. One of uh, 600,000 people. As I mentioned, there's more cows than people here. <laughs> yeah. I think there's 600,000 people on my block right now. I live in LA. Probably. Um, 
Anything else that you'd like the listeners to know about you? Any, any random trivia, anything embarrassing? <laughs> well, um, aside from the fact that I, I actually do own chickens, so I am a true farm girl. Um, I, I actually was never, it was never my aspirational dream to be a marketer. Um, I wanted to be a psychologist. I basically wanted to be the Sigmund Freud of our century. Um, less crazy than he was. If you, if you've been some reading about some people him. are saying, Whoa, she wants to be Sigmund Freud. Wow. <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to have some impactful research. Um, just not, not in a crazy way. Um, and, and I stumbled into marketing by just finding a, a college job that had tied marketing into it. And one of the reasons I didn't love marketing or never thought of it to be a career was that I was a pretty data driven person and really believed in science, the scientific method as, as a lot of psychologists do. Um, and, and I learned very quickly that marketing has made a pivot to yeah. being very data driven and that good timing. Me, yeah. 20 yeah. years ago, you would have hated marketing, but now there's just reams of data. There are. And that, and that's why I love it. And that's why I, I, I think um, my background in psych kind of has helped, has helped me understand how um, the world is changing and buyers are changing and, and you've got to be one step ahead of their habits. So I think in North Dakota, having chickens is no big deal. I'm pretty sure it's mandatory. Um, <laughs> But in, in cities, that's started to turn into a hipster thing where people, yeah. so people are going to think like, oh, she's, no, she lives in North Dakota, people. She's not a hipster in, in Berkeley that's raising chickens, all right? Definitely not. My dad was raising chick chickens before hipster was even yes. a word. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, I want to get back. So what we were talking about right before that, now everybody has a little bit of understanding what your company does, um, kind of who you are. You were talking about something sticking in the brand being it being important that the brand also sticks. And one of my favorite commercials of all time um, was a recent Super Bowl commercial that Tide did uh, where they said it's a Tide commercial for basically everything. And mm -hmm. I remember they, they right off the bat, they were one of the first Super Bowl commercials on that weekend. And I love watching commercials just to break them down and see, Oh, why are they doing this? How would this work? Would this work with this product as well? The general mm -hmm. ideas that commercial blew my mind because I felt like there were some other cleaning companies that had paid for Super Bowl commercials and they got just demolished because tide came out at the beginning of the Super Bowl, One of the first commercials to make sure they sunk into people's minds first and basically mm -hmm. said, every commercial you see, people's clothes are so clean, it's unrealistic. That means it must be a Tide commercial. Um, and now every commercial you saw, you're wondering, is this Budweiser or Tide? Because they did little spoofs of all the most popular commercials. Oh, Old Spice, and they pan back on a horse and the Tide guy would be there and be like, nope, it's Tide. Like yeah. every popular car insurance, whatever it is, Tide, 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 Tide. And basically by doing that and repeating it a couple times throughout the Super Bowl, they owned every single commercial. It was stuck. It was unforgettable in your mind. Every commercial you're watching, you're like, is that guy about to pop in? Am I getting tricked here or, or not? And I just thought it was brilliant for the cost of a Super Bowl commercial. They got every Super Bowl commercial and it really stuck in my mind. But also they put, it's a Tide commercial. They didn't say it's a cleaner commercial. It's, it's their brand is there. Like I can't forget who the brand is in that commercial. Yeah. And I, you know, that's, 
curiosity is an interesting thing and that and curiosity in that case has helped tide to be unforgettable um it also helps the spot at the beginning we tend to remember things at the beginning and the end the middle is a little bit messy and and a lot more forgettable um so that's a really good that and and halftime is a great is a great commercial spot obviously um but in that case, one of the things Tide did is they drove curiosity. You didn't know what was, if it was going to be a Tide commercial. And so you kept thinking it's going to be a Tide commercial and you wanted to solve the puzzle. Yeah. And, and that, that's a, it, curiosity is one of our pro most powerful drivers in just human behavior um, and, and the ability to re recall a brand. Every commercial was like a whodunit. You're just on yeah. the edge of your seat waiting. You're like, what did they do to me? It was so bizarre. It was, it yeah. was, for me, it was quite an experience. I've talked to other people who didn't even notice. And I was like, oh, go back and watch the Super Bowl just for the commercial. Like that one was brilliant. Yeah. Um, so the, having the brand stick in there, super critical. Um, let's get back to kind of the basics of being unforgettable. Where do mm -hmm. people start? You have marketers and they say, okay, I want people to remember my brand. I want to be unforgettable. Um, where, where do I start in doing that? Is there any sort of formula or specific tips, do's and don'ts, anything like that? Yeah, I think th there's so many different psychology pr principles and ways to be unforgettable, but probably the most common one is reinforcement, um, and being able to give somebody something and, and then feel afterwards like, wow, this is awesome. They get that surge of dopamine, um, in, in their head. Um, reinforcement is probably and reward is probably the most powerful one that is con consistent because if as a brand even before you sell to a company before they try your product or they buy your service you can create positive reinforcement that makes them want to come back i'm an inbound marketer so for those of you who aren't familiar with inbound marketing the idea is that you're bringing customers to your door by essentially delighting their ex their experience and educating them along the way regardless of where they're at in the funnel. They may be at the bottom, look, like literally looking for, for, for the best soda on the market, or they could be at the beginning um, and not even know if they've decided if they want to drink soda because it right. could be really bad for you. Might so, be thirsty, might not. They're not sure. Right. Or, well, you know, nowadays I think people are just conscious about how, much, how many calories is this going to add um, to my, my daily meal plan. Uh, but either way, you, you may be weighing that. Um, it's a very simple uh, ex explanation or example, but the inbound, at, the, at the core of inbound marketing is that you're, you're creating reinforcement all along the way so that when it does come down to a purchase decision, you, that person has this positive association with your brain or with your brand because of your brain. Um, dopamine is a real thing. It's a chemical reaction that happens when you deliver on on, on, um, on, on whatever it is you set out to deliver. So from an inbound marketing standpoint, this will play out, um, for example, content is big. If mm -hmm. somebody's researching um, the best plumber in the area and you have a guide on the best plumbers in the area and they find that really valuable, they may not buy from you that moment, but on, they, they got what they needed. Um, and next time they approach your brand, they're gonna anticipate that they'll feel the same way. Yeah. Right. And so and that's kind of, a so maybe they found you, but you also want to be memorable. So having something like AAA plumbing is not only first in the phone book when the phone books existed, but it's kind of uh, makes you more memorable than like some name you can't pronounce as plumbing. I've seen companies have 
names of products, the name of the company itself that are semi unpronounceable. Um, yeah. And I just think that's impossible for people to remember then. It needs to be like a superhero name, Clark, Clark Kent, right? Okay, right. that's really memorable because it has the, uh, and I always forget what that's called. Um, yeah. I, but it, it's, it, it makes it memorable versus something I, I can't really pronounce it. So how am I going to possibly remember it? Yeah, I mean, not being able to pronounce something is, is, definitely, um, is definitely a prohibitor of being able to remember it. But also just um, the complexity with the brand. To your point, pronunciation is one thing, but if I don't fully understand what a company does of it from the beginning, then I'm going to push them out to the back of my mind and go to the person that I easily can understand. And I get it. Keep it simple. Like a haiku is too long, basically. (laughs) You have to keep it to one line of a haiku. It's a Tide commercial, something that you can just like a sight word almost for a chunk of words. A a sight word. Whatever it is. A sight word. And the closer you can associate your brand with what you actually do and the value you provide is, is really powerful. Um, I think that, and, and, but at the same time, you can do that in, in an opposite way. So for example, if you call your company, the roofing company, yes, you may remember that, but you also aren't going to stand out if there's 10 other companies that are like the roofing company right. incorporated. I'll see. Right. So differentiating yourself as well. Yeah. Different um, differentiating. I noticed we have uh, talked about that a lot at physical events. Not sure if those will ever happen again. Um, and it's always a topic amongst the salespeople at the event. How, how are people going to remember us? When we follow up and we say, yeah, we're this. And they're like, hey, we talked to 50 of those at that event. Which one were you guys again? And so some guys will have wear, like, I'm going to wear a bright shirt. Can I wear like this super fluorescent shirt? I need something where not only they'll remember me on their own, but when I mention myself to them, there's some way of, of memory recall kind of, Oh yeah, you were those people. And, uh, I cut my hair the other week for, for my daughters, by the way, that's where I learned the sight word, what that was. My six year old taught <laughs> me that she's learning sight words. Um, I cut my hair into a Mohawk. I had always shaved my head for the last couple of years. And then, uh, with coronavirus sitting at home, I didn't bother and it started growing out and looking weird and shaggy. So I wanted to buzz my hair, but my girls really liked me having hair. They said, no, daddy, don't shave your hair. So I thought, well, let me cut into a mohawk just for fun because I can't stand this itchy hair and everything on my head anymore. And I cut into a mohawk and I was like, oh, that's not so bad. And the girls liked it and it clicked with me. I said, oh, if I'm the CEO of a company at a trade show and I have a mohawk, that's memorable right there. I don't need to wear a crazy shirt or do some weird dance or all that other stuff. It's just like that can be part of it. And I kind of like it. Um, and, and, and my daughters like it, which is even more important. So yep. di- finding some way to differentiate yourself so people can remember you even so that it sticks out in some way, I guess, especially if you don't have a huge known brand like Coke, people know if you have massive right. brand presence, they know you. Um, yep. Otherwise, they, your name has to be pronounceable. And there has to be the repetition you mentioned, yep. Um, but so, something to differentiate yourself from everyone else in the same space. Yeah, and I think you have to be careful with differentiation because if you were the Mohawk guy once, and then the next time you're the bald guy, then you're like, 
who is you, nobody's going to remember <laughs> those two different things. But I will remember right. a mohawk if you show up at every trade show with a mohawk. So I, I better I better really commit if I'm going to do that. <laughs> I mean, it, lo- it looks it looks good. I mean, I, or I lose girls, the brand. <laughs> your girls know what they're talking about, I guess. So I, I mean, I would I would keep that in mind, being consistent. Um, yeah. Try and that, and that's one thing I've seen at trade shows is that brands you have to create where brands need to tell great stories. I mean, humans generally like a good story, and if the story doesn't make sense along the way or there's disconnected pieces, they're going to start it's going to get a rotten, a pretty horrible rotten tomato score, right? Well, we use stories as a way to remember things, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly. So having good stories, yeah, it, it also helps with the whole memory and being unforgettable. Yeah, it does. And and trade shows are a great example where I think a lot of marketers actually screw up when it comes to creating a consistent story, um, just in the swag that they give out. So they may give out like right now maybe hand sanitizer, I guess. Um, but if you are a marketing agency, why are you giving out hand sanitizer? Even if it has your logo on it, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, it makes sense with your brand. So, so when you're, if we ever get back to the trade show life, um, you really have to keep in mind that the things that the, the experiences you're providing, but also the things you're giving out should be consistent with your brand and, t- and, and not pivot too much because otherwise right. people will start to forget you. I've seen some companies that there's all the traditional swag, but some companies, and it depends on what you do as a company, finding something that whether it clicks with the name of your company and it's, or, or your mascot or whatever, finding something other than just a branded pen or like I said, hand sanitizer that somehow connects to who you are as a company, to your product, to something like that in any way is a massive win when companies do that you know, versus yeah. the, the branded pen, stuff like that. It's almost a, that's basically like we gave up, mm-hmm. um, which is okay. You couldn't think of something or maybe your brand doesn't lend itself, but I always love at trade shows, seeing the company that found something that really fits with who they are. And it's so rare. I think that also makes it stand out. It's not yeah. easy to do. It's not. And one of my favorite examples um, is a, is a client that I've worked with for, for quite a few years. And one of the things they did as a direct mail, um, com- uh, basically mailed out, they've been doing mailers forever, right? Effective was when they, they, they're a senior living company. So they took a book that actually helps a parent or their loved ones understand, or got, like guide them through the process of moving into a senior living company or a community, which is kind of scary, right? So you need to help people to feel good about that decision. So what they did is they mailed out books um, to prospects. And instantly those people started to say, wow, this brand really cares about people. And because if you're moving into an assisted living community or you're, you're sending your mom or dad to one, you want them to know that they're well taken care of. So people kind of associated those two caring, the caring aspect with the brand simply because they chose the right thing to mail out. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I guess a book kind of also speaks to I wouldn't call it old school necessarily, but it is like, oh, a physical book. Okay. It that's, that's, yeah. uh, it speaks to the older generation that might be going to a home. Exactly. Exactly. So all of those kind of pieces and, and components of the campaign really thought about how do I, how do I create a cue, uh, you know, a cue in each of those situations um, so that 
at the end of the day, when someone thinks about a place to send my mom or dad for, for care, they thought of this company. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Probably more effective than sending an iPad with it loaded on there because it wouldn't really fit with, with the people that, that you're, you're sending it to. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, so when people talk about being unforgettable and you get into the psychology of it, inevitably my mind strays to, to thinking, is there some dark side to what somebody like you with a psychology background can do with knowing how people's brains works and the chemicals and releasing of hormones and all this other stuff? I mean, is, is there some layer of... Um, and let's save this for after the break, but is there some layer of subliminal messaging and mental manipulation involved? Maybe not by you, but the, you know, the, the dark side of this, this particular practice. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Market Podcast, and we have on today Amber Chemis of uh, Smartbug Media. Am I getting your name right, Amber? You are. It's, it, you can't screw it up, I don't yes. think. Oh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert at that. Um, and we're talking about being unforgettable, making your brand and your message uh, stick with people. We'll be right back. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on the qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download that manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. We hope you enjoyed that commercial break. We're here with Amber Chemist talking about being unforgettable. And before the break, I mentioned the dark side of having a psychologist in your marketing department that's <laughs> messing with people's brain chemistry. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's always a possibility. Um, and I think one of the interesting things is we have now have um, AI as well that helps to basically analyze all the human behavior that's happening on the internet and then make, give marketers the ability to manipulate their messages based on that. Um, but I'm an inbound marketer, as I mentioned earlier. So customers come first. I think the reality is that people aren't, we've, we're, we're now smarter buyers than we've ever been. Um, and we're now in more in control than ever been. So if you try to use psychology in a, in a sub, to do, to use, I mean, subliminal messaging or in a decisive way, you're more than likely going to, I mean, end up on that person's do not use list because of the salience of that one bad interaction or the chance that you get caught doing it. So people are so much better at sniffing it out. Exactly. Um, now you do get things like you have the Nigerian Prince scams. And I remember I had this theory and then I heard someone reinforced it uh, at some point a while back um, that you say, how do these people, it's so bad. Like, why aren't they better at the scam? And what people came to realize was they kind of know what they're doing. They're bad on purpose because they want to filter out anybody who's going to recognize what they're doing immediately. It's a marketing tactic of filtering out the, the right people and the wrong people. They don't want to do it so well that they hook everybody. And then a large percentage of those people eventually figure out it's a scam before they make any money. They want to make sure they only get the dumbest of the dummies. 
So they make it really obviously dumb and then they know, wow, anybody that's falling for this now is easy money and we're not going to waste time and, and get on the radar of all these other people. Um, so, I mean, there are still kind of mental tricks that people do to make sure they're not um, triggering, but they can still try to manipulate. I know I see emails all the time where I just think, you know, this messaging might work into a different department, but there's certain types of creative you can't send to sales and marketing because they know what you're doing. Like, no, I know this, this is a fake communication. I know we haven't spoke before. I know this tactic. I've seen this before. I can see, yes, the fake email chain from your CEO saying, reach out to this person. I know that's a gimmick. Um, And then you, it's a negative for you. But in a lot of areas, the people who aren't aware of those specific tactics, it, it still works. It's still very effective. Um, so I'm sure it's still out there. You're just saying it's maybe not the, um, it's not a common practice. I would say it's not a common practice and, and it's maybe used in, in a more ethical way. Um, so for example, I mean, knowing historically as marketers, you know, we'll, we'll look at demographics as a, as a strong indicator of if someone's a good fit for us and, and tailor messaging based on, on demographics alone but there is a personality component to it. And to your point, like a marketer may not perceive or dumb, you may, in some cases, you may have a dummy who will fall for the trap, right? But for us, we use that, we need to use that data to, to say, okay, well, I know that this person is not on email because they are just not a written communication type of person and they, that doesn't resonate as much. So I'm going to pivot and my main channel is going to be social media. Um, just knowing what's going on and and the modes of communication they tend to lean towards as a, as a person. So we're going to call it maybe ethical mental manipulation. Um, I like that. <laughs> it's, uh, in the data world, we there's a lot of, there's two sides. There's collecting data on people to have the data so that you can um, better target them to get them to buy your product. And then there's what everybody always puts on their websites and everywhere else is we need this data to give you a better experience. Mm-hmm. The better experience part is true. It's just there's a lot of companies that that's not really what they're doing with the data. They need the data to try to maximize their sales value with you. Um, you know, it's like yeah. go into a high uh, um, a high end negotiation and try to tell the other side, I need a bunch of information on you for to give you a better experience in this negotiation. I say, yeah, right. You're trying to uh, get a leg up on me, um, yeah. but there is the better experience side. So you're saying with with the psychology side of things you can, you can use it to give people a better experience basically. Yeah. And I think, um, when you use it through that intention, ultimately not not always, there's a lot of other pieces you have to get right, but ultimately, um, this, this, the product's going to sell anyways. If, if you, if you truly try to get inside your buyer's heads and tailor an experience to them. Now, what about the ethic, efficacy? Is that a word? (laughs) Yeah, Um, Yeah. Efficacy of, uh, of getting your jingle stuck in somebody's head. Is there a class action lawsuit there for something like one, eight, seven, seven cars for kids? Because I've lost a lot of time. (laughs) You know, I think it's just annoying. Um, And sometimes like you do end up having a negative correlation because of things like that. Um, Have you ever, have you ever bought a car from there? No, I think they're, they're more donate cars. You donate donate a car to them as charity. But if I was going to donate my car somewhere, 
I, I mean, I joke about it. I have no problem with them. Um, if I was going to donate right. my car, that's stuck in my mind because yes, they yeah. had a good, I mean, even nowadays, a, a good jingle. I still yeah. remember the Nabisco ding uh, that they had at the end of every commercial when mm -hmm. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And okay, I know the brand Nabisco because of that. I don't think I would know them otherwise. So getting stuck in somebody's head, not, not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not like it's not their fault that they want, well, that's what they're trying to do. They are. They are. It's, not, it's not a bad thing, uh, but I'm, I'm joking about it. Do you have a favorite jingle that's stuck in your head or one that you uh, always remember? I am awful at jingles. Um, I actually am one of those people who I'm exposed to very few commercials because I have chose to use Netflix and um, I listen to serious radio. So um, when I think about branding and like unforgettableness, it's, it's interesting because my first, my, the first thought is not a commercial or a jingle because I, I blocked out that avenue. Mm -hmm. So I would say you're actually great at jingles in that you have blocked, successfully blocked them out. <laughs> <laughs> I have been, yes, I've successfully blocked them out. Um, but going back to our point of knowing your buyers, like I'm a buyer who's not going to see a commercial. So if you want to hit me, then you're going to have to hit me on another channel where, you know, I'm hanging out. Right. Do you have a favorite channel for this kind of being unforgettable? Is there a best channel for this or a worst channel? Well, it, it, it depends on your buyer, but also um, it's, there's, there's a principle called mere exposure. And basically it says that the more that you're, you're going to be in front of people, the more likely they are to remember you when, when they need, when they need you. So if you're a company looking at, um, channels and saying, well, this channel is driving more ROI than this channel. Let's turn off that channel. I would second guess that because you're at least probably getting your brand in front of someone multiple times. And just by seeing your brand multiple times, they're going to remember you. Um, so kind of to, to go back and answer the question, is there a particular one? There isn't, but you should be using a combination because that means you're being exposed in, in mm -hmm. multiple places. And if I happen to turn on, um, a, a cable to watch the news, which I don't do, <laughs> um, if I see you in an advertisement and I also see you in an ad when I'm researching something on Google and it happens to pop up, like I, seeing you twice is, 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 is going to have a big impact. Right. So the, the multi-channel, I think that's where account-based marketing is so popular these days because you could only market to one company or one person. And as long as they think you have this mass marketing thing to, to them, your brand is everywhere. And you're like, no, we're really actually just putting it in front of you constantly. Um, yeah. Something that's weird. One of the very few prep things I did for this episode, for some reason, I don't remember why I, I even wrote it down was I wrote down a quote that I think is very relevant to what you just said um, from uh, John uh, Wanamaker. He said that half the money I spent on advertising is wasted. Trouble is, I don't know which half. <laughs> and that's kind of with what, what you just said. It's like, hey, just because it's not seeing the highest ROI doesn't mean it's not part of the equation, the general exposure of that, that brand and that message that makes you unforgettable. Um, makes me think of another thing. Repetition's great, but you probably want to make sure you're not the Geico money commercial. Um, and by that, I mean the one where there's a stack of money. For me, I find super annoying. Mm -hmm. um, so repetition of a super annoying message, maybe not so great. Yeah, I mean, 
there's there's positive correlation and there's negative correlation and in that case it's a it's a negative correlation and i think brands um a lot of times get desperate and and are like how do what's the next thing we can throw into our marketing campaign ideas that's going to stand out but sometimes standing out um isn't out isn't a good thing i mean it it it, it can actually be a bad thing and and once you associate so any association has a level of salience it can be really strong and and it can be so little that i just saw 10 commercials and i don't remember any of them so it it doesn't matter none of them are going to stand out but negative associations tend to be pretty powerful and strong um, it's a lot harder to forget about a negative thing than it is a positive thing which is which is really not good for brands something that's going to stand out and it ends up giving a positive or a negative um, right. feeling I guess that's where fear advertising works too, because maybe you're, you're scaring people into, you're saying my problem, my product is a solution to this fear. So the negative really sticks with them more, but then you also get brands that seem to go by the, any attention is good attention mantra. Yeah. And, and there's actually a lot of research around that, um, that says that motivation through fear is not always effective. Um, in some cases it, it actually, um, it, it, it actually can do, it can do the opposite. It can demotivate people. Um, and there's a lot of studies that have been done about workforce, um, and in the workforce in particular around, you know, if I motivate you to not hit your quota, like you, you got to avoid hitting your quota. How does that compare to if I say, Hey, I want you to surpass your quota. Um, right. there's a, they're, they're just presented in two different ways. Um, when people get the when they avoid fear, they tend to, um, it might work for a very short time, but it's not going to work in the long term. So when brands try to do that, it may work for a very, very, very short time, but in the long run, it's not going to work. So it's like an adrenaline boost or something almost, but you can't maintain that. You end up rebelling against a fear-based work environment. You know, you can be yeah. motivated, but if it's for to hit the project to finish it by Friday once, but if it's every single day, not gonna not gonna work so well over time. Definitely not. Um, and and I mean, if you think about your own life, you probably understand why it's much more exciting to get up and during the day and um, have the promise of buying something and and it being giving you something, making your day better versus buying something because you fear that it could have negative consequences. Oh no. I remember the days of how motivating it was to um, be afraid I wasn't going to be able to pay the rent. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, long-term that, that'd be a little bit um, it's not, not maybe not a long-term plan for success. So fear, I also found shame was a great tool at one point when I was managing people. And then I realized after a while, much like fear, Shame yeah. can work in small doses for short periods of time when necessary, uh, but as a long-term strategy, it can be crippling to people's kind of ability to grow. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's interesting in a time of, of we're living in a, in a pandemic right now and, and fear is a big thing. So if you are a brand and you instill fear, people don't want any more of that. Like they, they, the, they wanna feel happy and, and positive um, amidst everything that's going on. So I would say, especially if you're a brand listening to this right now, the, the worst thing you can do is try to motivate people through fear because they have way too much of it going on. 
and people in general, even outside of a pandemic, there's a hot tub effect where if you're constantly, I mean, I remember working in an office where the, the boss ran things through fear and I was managing people and I, I told one of my people to do something. He said, oh no, we're going to get in trouble. Like I'm not supposed to do that. And I said, no, do it. It's okay. I'll get in trouble. Um, and he said, what do you mean? I was like, I don't mind. I've been in trouble before. And it was like, I've, I'm yelling at so regularly. It doesn't matter anymore that mm-hmm. the fear it's like, Oh, now I've been desensitized. It's like crying yeah. wolf or something. It's like the only thing you can do now is fire me because there's no such, I've, I've just been exposed to too much fear. I have no more pain receptors for this. I don't care. So I'm going to actually do things that I normally wouldn't do that you wouldn't want me to do just because I don't care about fear anymore. It doesn't affect me. Sorry. Yeah. And I think that's a, that going back to your, your point earlier about how people are smarter um, and, and, and overall and, and sometimes like some certain tactics appeal to the dummies, right? Um, people just generally know that if you're using a fear-based tactic that they see it, they see it coming. And to your point, they're desensitized to it rather than right. being motivated by it. Especially if it's the constant selling point. I mean, I feel like you even see products that are, you know, directly around fear. Don't, they don't really market on that constantly. They typically find uh, another angle for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, something I want to make sure we get through everything we possibly can here for the listeners, any, any particular tricks for people Let's say that, you know, they have their product, they have their service and they want to come up with something that can help them stick. We've talked about a lot of the stuff in general, but if they're coming up with, I mean, is it, is it a logo? Is it, is it the catchphrase? What is it they should start with when thinking of something that's going to be unforgettable? We talked about the power of stories earlier. Um, a brand is only as good as its story and people need to be able to relate to that story. And so when you're, when you're the thing that you can do, one of the most impactful things you can do is have a solid content strategy that is aligned around your buyers. And through that content strategy, you tell consistent, you share your stories and, and educate your, your buyers. And by one of the things that you can do that's really powerful is obviously positive reinforcement to a marketer, digital marketer. This is typically, hey, you know, it, it's a principle of reciprocity. If you give me your email and phone number and first name and last name, I'm going to give you this valuable piece of content. If you deliver on a valuable piece of content, they will feel reinforced by that. So the more right. interaction points you can do where you do that and it doesn't cause friction and it really does deliver on the promise, um, the more rememberable you're going, to, you're going to be. I hate to use consumer brands, but it's always the easiest to relate to people. It is, yeah. Um, that makes me think of uh, Red Bull because mm-hmm. I have a problem with the story of a brand and how a lot of people interpret that. And sometimes it works. Most of the times I feel like it's fake. I blame Simon Sinek with his why stuff going yeah. way overboard. Everybody now make, they think story means it literally has to be what's my origin story. What's my why? What's my purpose? And I've been screaming at people to go away from that because it's just careened off into super fakeness and it drives mm-hmm. me nuts. Every commercial I see about, I've mentioned on this podcast, who knows how many, you know, about the two college roommates that couldn't, 
fill in the blank. It's like they got a template from some marketing agency and said, okay, here's what it is. What's your high-end product? Okay, yeah, you and your friend couldn't find a good luxury car at a low price when you were in your dorm room, so you made your own. Like, no, absolute bullshit. And I don't think that's what you mean when you say story. It makes me think um, of Red Bull. They don't have an origins like, oh, why'd you make Red Bull? But, but No, there's no talk of that. It's all extreme sports. Their story is extreme sports. That's who they are. That's, yeah. that's their kind of persona is all wrapped, uh, all wrapped around that kind of unnecessarily. It isn't like a, mm -hmm. you know, a drink with a whole bunch of caffeine and sugar is necessarily related to energy sports at all. I'm not sure any of these people drink a Red Bull on their own before they do any of these things, but they've yeah. made that kind of who they are. Not, not for any necessary, you know, it doesn't have to, I guess, to be directly related too much to the product. It's like your no. mascot. Once you make your mascot, your mascot, that's once you make your story, your story. Okay. That's, that's what you're working around. And your story. Yeah. To your point, it, it should be more about the buyer, the person on the other end, the person you're trying to attract and, and be unforgettable to the more that they can relate to it, the more likely they're going to remember it later. So when you make your story all about your product, then there's, there's no association between yourself and that brand. Um, there's a disconnect there. But someone like Red Bull um, and, and Extreme Sports, they know that the person most likely, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm making up um, a, a hypothesis, but that their, their biggest buyers are probably extremists, maybe. Maybe not, not in sports, but just extremists, like they're hard go-getters. Um, and, and so they, and not even necessarily extremists, but not the lady who stays home with 20 cats. Right. Like that's right. not their, their story. Isn't how much they love, uh, spading and neutering cats. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know, picking up strays and stuff like that. It's extreme sports. Yeah. Yeah. And people and their buyers are, are probably, uh, are extremists in their own little way. And so they likely, they can associate with the idea of extreme sports because they, get up early every morning and, and work hard, or they stay up extra late to, to meet a deadline. Or at least want to make themselves think of themselves that way. Like they're part right. of that group. <laughs> like I can do a backflip. Yeah. <laughs> I, I drink this, the drink that sponsors these. So I'm associated with these uh, extreme activities, even though I don't get off the couch. <laughs> yes, exactly. So a story can be not just, not necessarily an origin story, but kind of the who you are as a company. Um, and reinforcing that in a way that makes, makes yourself, uh, un unforgettable is, mm -hmm. is kind of what I'm taking away. If I'm wrong, please do tell me, but, um, <laughs> I, I think it's the company's origin, but also the, the person buying its origin, which is likely what's informed your company direction. Um, and, and it can be one story or it can be multiple stories. Your buyers sometimes have a lot of different pain points. So if you can relate to their yourself to them through the power of story, then they see this association and they think of you when they, the next time that their shoe doesn't fit or right. whatever the problem might be. And I suppose, I mean, your story can also be that you make a great product, whatever it is, if that's super important, uh, something that's a commodity like Red Bull, it isn't like people have to have this. Oh, if you don't drink this before you do the extreme sport, you're not going to make it. But, um, mm -hmm some products aren't, aren't commodities at all. They're really necessary. And, and the story kind of is, you know, just a very quality product. I think about uh, something like 
BMW or Mercedes Benz back in the eighties and nineties, when all cars weren't great, their whole thing was really just kind of, Hey, we make a fantastic vehicle. That's, that's our thing. They didn't, yeah. for some reason, they weren't really focusing on the origin story much with those brands. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I think they, they, they were probably far ahead of their time. Yeah. They're also German car brands. So their origin story probably wasn't something they wanted to focus on. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, one last question for you, and then I'll leave it open to you. Anything else you want to talk about? Different size companies. A lot of the people listening to the show might be in a kind of small to medium business. Larger companies have a lot of this kind of stuff locked down. For, for a small business, let's say, how can they look to implement something like this? Like, is it different for the small business? Because they don't have the massive budget to do the big brand building. They probably don't have a recognizable brand. Like, what can they do as a small business to try to start sticking in their audience's minds? Yeah, most of my career, I haven't really focused on big consumer brands. Um, it's, it's been small, medium business, some large businesses with very targeted audiences. And I'd actually say that there's, they have a stronger ability to relate to their customers in a way that's going to have an unforgettable impact simply because they can call up a customer and get inside their head and understand the nuances of that person. And that person's probably a lot like the guy you've never attracted before and you want to become unforgettable too. So I think they have the power in that they have relationships that they can leverage to ultimately say, okay, this is what, this is the psyche of our typical buyer because we've had conversations with them. And here's what we need to do differently when we're talking about marketing. Um, and what's really cool, I think, with marketers today is, is at, at the premise of, of, of any scientific um, field, including psychology, is the scientific method. So you have a hypothesis, you gather data, you try to prove a theory using that data, right, and, and controls. Small businesses have free tools like Google Analytics and... Um, Google search council and like all these, all these free data tools that don't cost a ton of money that they can look at and say, wow, we're seeing a trend in human behavior that says our pricing page is the most informative thing that we have. So, but when, when most humans get to that page, they get stuck at the top of the page and don't go anywhere. So you can right. look at, at data like that to say, all right, I now need I, to change my, you know, create a hypothesis around this data, prove that if I tweak some things, we can actually get them to call us or um, send us a chat or whatever the goal might be. You can do that even at a, if you're working on a very small budget. Interesting. So we're at the very end of the show and I just had a realization that I think being unforgettable isn't always about the, the home run of being unforgettable. It isn't that massive brand catchphrase that gets stuck in people's heads forever. A Coke and a smile was the first thing maybe that I mentioned. You know, that's giant, giant brand, unforgettable. A small brand, a small company can just find something to be do great at, and that can be unforgettable. It can be a matter of, you know, your website, one page on your website being quote unquote unforgettable in a way that, um, people don't stray off to some other page and forget they had that tab open even. Um, exactly. So kind of the ease of flow through the process itself even 
or the fact that people, you know, they, they don't forget about you. They don't forget they don't. what they were doing. They don't forget their interaction with you. Um, so it's not just the massive home run of being a world recognized catchphrase or something like that. It could be every little step within marketing. Yeah, it's a it, test, rinse, repeat, um, ultimately. And, and so, yes, yeah, seeing what works and, and, it, and all you have to do is resonate with the right person. It doesn't have to be, to your point, everybody or a big home run. You really just got to get to first base um, so that the guy after you can hit a home run. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's awesome. So just providing a great experience. Um, and making sure that your brand name is somehow memorable within it. I know many restaurants where I've had a good meal. I have no clue what the name of the restaurant was. Um, it's called, remember that one place where we had that one thing, um, can, can be the, the unforgettable that a small business is, is really looking for. That's awesome. Um, any last words you want to leave, uh, leave the people with here? I, I think I would just close by saying, um, we are living in a time where human behavior is rapidly changing and quickly changing. Our habits are changing. We're, we're now working from home a lot more. Um, and so as, as people change, you are going to probably have to change your habits and your way of, of resonating and being unforgettable to them as well. I, yeah. The, uh, the guy whose kid came in while he was on a, a, a video uh, conference. A BBC, yeah. Um, yeah, that guy was unforgettable. Nowadays, it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's every single, I'm surprised that we haven't been interrupted yet. Uh, uh, me too. It's every single call you have with every person, every interaction, every TV show, every everything now. Somebody's coming in the background. Um, fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, listeners, you can, uh, you can find all the information, um, all the information on Amber Chemist, VP of Client Services at Smartbug Media on the show notes for this episode. And um, that's at ifyoumarket.com. Please share us on social media, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. And I'm getting way ahead of myself. Amber, I haven't thrown anything out for you. Smartbugmedia.com, people can find you guys at. Yep. Um, LinkedIn, they can find you. Anywhere else you want people to find you? Uh, LinkedIn and our website are the, the biggest pl places to, to see me hanging out, actually. I have Twitter, but don't, you might not want to find me there. <laughs> you, won't, you won't find much for me there. So go to LinkedIn. Fantastic. So smartbugmedia.com. And uh, for, for Amber, go to her LinkedIn profile. And uh, again, check the show notes for that. Uh, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. Please do uh, share the show. And on behalf of the If You Market team and Amber Chemist of Smartbug Media, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. Is your data company ignoring and gouging you or gouging and ignoring you? Those are the main reasons our customers move from the previous list provider, Mountaintop Data's Top Data Search platform. What's Top Data Search? Well, with Top Data Search, you can search our database of 20 million plus business contacts and download lists with complete contact information. It's a convenient tool for both sales and marketing departments to get accurate lists. It's free to have an account. There's no annual contracts, no seat fees. Top Data Search is just easy access to accurate data. And when you reach out to us with questions, we actually give you answers. Visit topdatasearch.com and sign up for a free account with the coupon code IYM300 and get 300 free credits. Or if you're just curious, go to topdatasearch.com and run some searches on our open search tool, no account needed, by clicking the search now button. That's at topdatasearch.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.